Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are walking a fine line and exploring a delicate balance as we find our voices while embracing our silence. Choices. Aren't you glad you have choices? Now, if we could just figure out the right cadence, the appropriate timing, and the relevance of it all. You might have heard, if you want something, you have to speak up and demand it. But then you may also have heard, you get more bees with honey. No matter which way you turn, you can find a quote validating your decision. Where you see wrong or inequality or injustice, speak out because this is your country. This is your democracy. Make it, protect it, pass it on. That's a quote by Thurgood Marshall. How about this one? Before you speak, ask yourself if what you're going to say is true, is kind, is necessary, is helpful. If the answer is no, maybe what you're about to say should be left unsaid. A quote by Bernard Meltzer. And of course, from Lao Tse, silence is a source of great strength. Ready to explore all the audible levels? When you consider whether to speak up or to remain silent or somewhere in between, you have to consider a few factors. Timing. Is this the appropriate time for you to insert your opinion or defend your idea? Relevancy. Is what you're saying relevant to the conversation, climate, or the hour? Origin. Where did this idea originate from? From a place of kindness or retaliation? Outcome. What are you hoping to gain with your input? To prove a point? Further the conversation? Share knowledge? Or lobby acceptance? That might sound insane to have to go through that filtering system before you speak, but let's sit back and think about it for a minute. We have all been guilty of speaking before thinking, letting our emotions or thirst for justification get the better of us, or walked away from a conversation wishing we would have kept our mouth shut. Building in a moment to pause and think could make all the difference. Just an idea to get us going. Let's get some other opinions and this time we're soliciting their responses. Now, let me preface by saying this. I'm not advocating speaking up or staying silent. All I can speak for is myself. We are just exploring some ideas so that you can come to your own conclusions and what's right for you. In the end, you have a choice. And aren't you thankful for that? To get us started, I wanted to share a word by Dan Cumberland, The Secret to Finding Your Voice. This is found at meaningmovement.com. Such great insight into his revelation on the subject. He said, I always thought that my voice would have a different sound. I thought that finding my voice would feel as though I have this new thing inside of me, that speaking and writing. It sounds a little weird and even freaky when I put that in writing, but it's true. I expected to find something new and different. I couldn't have been further from the truth. When you find your voice, 
you don't find some new thing inside of you. Instead, you find a little more of you. You find a little more freedom to speak, express, and to let yourself be heard. You find that your voice isn't anywhere other than inside of you or anyone else than who you are. You'll read and hear people talk about developing your voice. It's true. Yes, you can develop your voice, how you speak and write, and yes, the more you use it, the better you will be at speaking up. But don't look for or expect your voice to be anyone other than you. And don't look for or expect it to say anything other than what you have to say. Dan said, I'm always coming back to this. The most important question to consider when you don't feel like you found your voice is what are the stories and who are the voices that keep you from speaking? If you don't feel free to speak, and many of us don't, there are reasons you feel that way. Those stories need to be told, and the lies within them need to be challenged. Dan says, I struggled for years. I first realized it when I was studying music composition in college. My program didn't address the idea of finding your voice as a composer, at least not intentionally. This was okay with me because I didn't know I was searching for it. I just knew I wanted and needed to write music, and so I wrote. And as I wrote and struggled to write, I felt like things I created were never good enough. I felt like everything sounded better in my head, and I couldn't get it to sound that way in real life. I wanted each piece to be epic, but many were simple. Looking back, I can see how insecurity clouded my judgment. I let my expectation and hope for creating big and dramatic music cloud my perception of the music that I actually wrote. My music was simple and had an honest beauty to it. The more I struggled, the more I let it shut me down, and the more I believed that the things I was making weren't good enough. I was vaguely aware that I hadn't found my voice, and I wanted to find it, but I didn't know where to look. I didn't know that my voice was already in my music. It was in the pieces that I was writing and trying not to write. What I really needed was to listen to myself and hear the goodness in what I wrote rather than call it bad because it wasn't the other thing that I wanted to create. Your voice is already speaking. You just may not know it yet. The simplest and most profound definition of your voice is this. You say something. It sounds like you. It says the things that you think about in the ways that you always say them. Finding your voice is a misleading name for this process. The real work is wondering why you don't like what you already have to say. The real work is in letting your voice speak and to let it be good enough. The real work is in letting your voice matter more than meeting the needs and expectations of everyone else. Finding your voice is mostly having the courage to speak and letting it be enough. Now, for me, I found my voice at an early age. And as my family might say, never shut up. 
the first and last one talking, and by far the loudest. My first grade teacher wrote in my report card, she talks more than I do, and I'm the teacher. For what I do, this problem serves me well, but I do have different voices. Professionally, I'm confident and direct. I stand up for what I believe in and have no trouble inserting my ideas and opinions. But personally, I'm more timid. I'm a people pleaser and I want to make everyone comfortable. Because of that, I can sit back and be more agreeable. I avoid confrontation and become very uncomfortable if I've disappointed someone. I don't say I'm a people pleaser lightly. I've actually done a lot of research and worked on myself learning about this behavior in order to understand what triggers this and how I can let go of these feelings. One thing I'm learning is to let everyone establish their own level of comfort. It's not up to me to make people comfortable. Yeah, sure, if I'm hosting a dinner party, then there is some level of responsibility. But in their everyday lives, it's up to them. Just like my own comfort level is up to me. Now, I still have my moments. Wanting to introduce everyone at a gathering or helping the hostess solve the seating confusion or alerting a customer that the salesman will be right back. Yeah, I know, like I work there or something, but it's a work in progress. It totally helps that Matt is fully aware of my struggle and instead of judging or shaming me, he gently reminds me that I don't have to worry about that. And just like that, I'm transported back to the present where I'm in control of my own behaviors and I have a chance to reel it in. Ready for a few more reminders? Brittany Johnson shares seven things to remember when you're scared to speak up. This is found at NBCWashington.com. Every day we wake up is another opportunity to focus on being better than the day before. Isn't that awesome? It's not easy to speak up or to remain silent when need be. I've never shied away from speaking up, but I've learned that finding the wisdom within knowing when to remain silent and when to speak up is even more powerful. A wise mentor once told me, to listen and observe first before speaking is way more powerful than speaking just to be heard. So here are seven things to remember. Number one, not feeling ready to speak up could be a sign that you actually are ready. The more you live and learn, the more seasoned and educated you become, the more you will come to realize just how little you actually know in the grand scheme of things. Every human being deals with this phenomenon to a certain extent. Research suggests that the so-called imposter syndrome that takes place when we suddenly don't feel good enough or ready yet gets more intense as we grow wiser. In addition, the more experienced or knowledgeable we become, the more likely we are to compare ourselves to or even rub shoulders with more interesting, talented, and wise people leaving us feeling even more inadequate by comparison. So, in a backwards way, if you're concerned that you don't measure up, that you're not ready yet, it could very well be a sign that you actually do measure up just fine, and that now is your time to speak up. Number two, most social conflicts between good people start with bad communication or no communication. 
Too often we try to read each other's minds to no avail. And then we sit back and wonder why we're all on different pages. Take this to heart. The single greatest problem in communication is the illusion that it's taken place. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Give the people in your life the information they need rather than expecting them to know the unknowable. Speak clearly and honestly and listen sincerely. And keep in mind that when you hear only what you want to hear, you're not really listening. Listen to what you don't want to hear too. That's how we grow stronger together. Number three, the only way to find support is to admit how you feel in the first place. For example, sometimes we feel as though the world is crashing down on us, as if the pain we're experiencing is uniquely only to us in the moment. This, of course, is so far from the truth. We are all in this together. The very demons that torment each of us torment all of us. It's our challenge and troubles that connect us at the deepest levels. Once we fully embrace this, our relationships become a place where we can look at each other in the eye and say, I'm lost and struggling at the moment. And we can nod back at each other and say, me too, and that's okay. Because not being okay all the time, not having everything figured out, is perfectly okay. Number four, the right words can be incredibly healing. When you grow older and you look back on your life, you will inevitably forget a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff that seemed important when you were young. You probably won't remember what your high school or college GPA was. You will look up old classmates online and wonder why you ever had a crush on that guy or girl. And you will have the toughest time remembering why you let certain people from your past get the best of you. But you will never forget the people who were genuinely kind, those who helped when you were hurting and who loved you even when you felt unlovable. Be that person to others when you can. Your voice can heal. Sometimes you'll say something really simple and small, but it will fit right into those empty spaces in someone's heart. Number five, silence can be self-abuse. You have to admit, to a certain extent, you've spent too much of your life trying to silence yourself, trying to become quieter, smaller, less sensitive, less needy, less you. Because you didn't want to be too much for people. You wanted to make a good impression with them. You wanted to fit in. You wanted everyone to like you. So for much of your life, you've sacrificed a part of yourself, your need to be heard for the sake of not stepping on anyone's toes. And for much of your life, you've abused yourself with your own silence. But you're tired of living this way, right? When you give yourself permission to openly communicate what matters to you, peace will develop within you despite the possible rejection or disapproval you may face. Putting a voice to your heart and soul helps you to let go and grow. Number six, honest communication can disarm people's difficult tendencies. We all have difficult people in our lives, but not all of them are difficult on purpose. Sometimes people who care about you, people who have decent intentions, are incredibly hard to deal with simply because they're struggling with their own issues. 
Such people need your support, but you must also be honest with them. Not confronting someone's difficult behavior can become the principal reason for being sucked into their drama. I think we can all picture someone or some instance. Challenging their behavior up front, on the other hand, will sometimes get you to realize the negative impact of their actions. For instance, you might say, I've noticed you seem angry. Is something upsetting you? Or your attitude is upsetting me right now. Is this what you want? Direct statements like these can be disarming if someone is subconsciously stuck in a rut. And these statements can also open doors of opportunity for you to help them if they're genuinely facing a serious problem. And if they deny their behavior, at least you've made them aware that their attitude has become a known issue to someone else. Number seven, your voice can bring people together. We all want validation, love, happiness, fulfillment, financial stability, and hopes for a better future. The unique ways we pursue these wants is where things branch off, but the fundamentals are the same. So whenever possible, find the courage to use your voice to help those around you see the world through commonalities of the human heart and soul. Remind them that we're all in this together. This is how humanity as a whole gradually evolves and becomes stronger. The language of the heart and soul of togetherness is mankind's common language. When we change the way we communicate with each other, we change society for the better. Speaking up is not about engaging in drama. With everything I've already said, keep in mind that constantly talking and challenging others isn't communicating. It's just drama. You are as powerful as the meaningful ideas you share with others, and you are as wise as the selective silence you leave behind. So do your best to be wise with your words. There is a time to speak up and a time to remain quiet. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing whether or not to say it. Of course, the wisdom of striking the right balance will take practice, and that's okay. Just speak from your heart and soul with kindness and the intention to add value, and you will gradually learn not to waste words on moments that deserve your silence. I know words have power. So many times we drop a word here and there and carry on with our day, never fully understanding where it went or who it impacted and how. Your words can inform, change opinions, instill hope, elicit fear, calm and soothe, or encourage anger. These are just a few. Without fully knowing how your words will be received and what kind of effect they might have, Should you be so free with them? Be intentional. I'm typically a happy-go-lucky person. I might be viewed as a person who always sees the bright side and who is rarely down. It's true. But I'm human. It doesn't take much to sway a conversation to the dark side. 
it usually starts with, you guessed it, negativity. Rehashing the injustice of the world, calling out the challenges in our government, giving fuel to the sensitivities that are already in all the headlines. Could you find more things to talk about? If you were challenged with only keeping your commentary on positive subjects, could you? You have the choice to unplug, turn the conversation around, or walk away. Before that feeling spreads, insert your power. Greg Savas sheds some light on the feeling of powerlessness found at counselingdirectory.org. Powerlessness may be described as an overwhelming feeling of helplessness or inadequacy in stressful situations, making us more susceptible to anxiety, stress, and depression. This may include an inability to exercise our free will when it comes to expressing opinions, making decisions, and asserting our personal choices. We might feel we have no influence over others who seem to disregard our freedom and independence. Or we might fear confrontation with authority figures because we fail to assert our boundaries and communicate our needs. Slowly, this eats away at our self-confidence and weakens our resilience and ability to solve our own problems. For example, we might feel unable to stand up for ourselves in an argument, voice our concerns in a staff meeting, or protect our interests with family members for fear of being seen as selfish. We may even seek to please others in an effort to win their approval and favor while secretly resenting their power over us. Sound familiar? Once this pattern of behavior becomes embedded, we become trapped and less likely to change our circumstances. Longing for change, but fearing it. Seeking a sense of security that never comes and expecting the worst. Forgetting how to face up to our fears and adapt to change when it comes. This can induce a state of prolonged anxiety and learned helplessness, which is triggered by association with the original stimuli. Once we become trapped in this spiral of learned helplessness, we feel unable to take on new challenges and continuously anticipate the worst. As worry and anxiety set in, we lack the autonomy and drive to propel us forward, reverting to repetitive cycles of defensiveness, like avoiding situations, procrastination, emotional withdrawal, panic attacks, or anger outbursts. If we feel unable to solve problems for ourselves, we become more dependent on others or start to withdraw into ourselves until we become isolated and alone. But what lies behind these avoidant patterns of behavior and learned helplessness? There are many psychological causes of powerlessness. Trauma of course, is one of them. Some of us may have experienced traumatic events in the past that have obliterated our trust and self-confidence. This reduces our capacity to cope with stress, such as managing conflicts or overcoming everyday adversity. It's possible we learn this as children. 
growing up in families which were emotionally volatile, abusive, or frightening. It's also possible that we learn to avoid intimacy from our parents, believing it's better to hide our vulnerability rather than express with others. We may have learned to feel wary about the world from highly anxious parents who smothered us and displayed hypervigilant behaviors themselves. Trauma is by definition a state of extreme helplessness. And the psychological imprint of trauma can become a permanent feature of our lives as it rewires the brain to respond disproportionately to stress, freezing, panicking, or acting out in anger as we encounter reminders of the original trauma. We may even disassociate or enter a dazed, trance-like state in order to cope by numbing down our sensations and becoming desensitized to our feelings. Anxiety and avoidance. Some of us learn from an early age to normalize our response to anxiety by avoiding or ignoring the symptoms of stress. This causes an excess buildup of stress hormones like cortisol or adrenaline, undermining how we learn to self-regulate or manage our emotions in childhood, especially intense feelings like fear, distress, and anger. Most children are too vulnerable to mobilize a fight-and-flight response to stress, so they learn to freeze and internalize stress as intense states, excessive worry, or apprehension. But freezing in adulthood reduces our capacity to mobilize into action or cope with adversity by adapting to change. It induces feelings of extreme detachment and patterns of avoidant behavior in an effort to seek relief but it also reduces our threshold of tolerance of stress and leaves us feeling even more helpless. We can even become clingy or needy with others and fear being abandoned just when we feel most vulnerable. It can also be depression. When we experience long-term depression, we can become detached and withdrawn, losing connection with ourselves and others yet feeling unable to reach out for help. No matter what course of action we take, we become convinced that no one else cares or understands our difficulties. We feel judged and alone, longing for change, but convinced we're powerless to act. Our sense of isolation increases and tends to overwhelm us until we become more detached. This can lead to despair a creeping sense of dread, or angry outbursts in order to fend against powerlessness. As an antidote to powerlessness, we have to become more connected to ourselves, grounded in our own experiences, and more present in the moment. This means learning to become more mindful of our physical sensations, emotional states, and practicing mindfulness exercises to improve our self-confidence and sense of empowerment. As we regain our self-worth, we no longer feel so helpless. Grounding techniques. There are a number of grounding techniques you can learn to decrease feelings of hyperarousal and helplessness as you connect to yourself and the present moment. Here's one. Stand with your feet apart. Firmly, press your toes, heels, and balls of your feet into the floor until you feel anchored. Bend your knees slightly, 
and gently sway your hips from side to side as if you were surfing until you find your center of gravity. Stabilize your position with your thighs. Drop your shoulders and raise your head up. Be aware of your body weight, stability, flexibility, muscle tone, and upright spine. Here's another one. Pushing and pulling. Place one foot in front of the other and lean forward, placing your hands into a wall or against a door frame. Bend both of your knees and push from your back leg, using your front legs to steady you. Or front leg. <laughs> Ensure that your shoulders are parallel to your hands as you push slow and hard against the door frame. How about hands and squeezing? Curl the fingers in both your hands and place one hand over the other, linking the curled fingers. Then pull firmly, but without moving your hands. Do this a few times and hold your grip. Next, place your hands together in a prayer position with your elbows out, pushing your palms firmly together and holding them together a few moments. Clasp both hands together, interlocking your fingers and apply pressure to the grip on both hands. Use a stress ball, Chinese steel stress balls, or turn a coin between your fingers. There are several more grounding techniques, but you get the idea. Now, you know, we all have thoughts and opinions, stories, zingers, and comebacks. Topics we're passionate about and topics that are sensitive to us, but... Should we always feel the need to respond? Social media has given a soapbox to everyone's opinions and critiques. Facebook prompts you with what's on your mind and an open text box with a, an immediate one-click post 24-7. So when should you speak up and when should you remain silent? Well, we can learn so much from each other, but to learn, you have to listen. And to listen, you have to stop talking. Active listening involves tuning into the conversation and forming their story in your mind, not how your story relates. You know that person. You're telling a story and you hear, ooh, 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 from your friend who just remembered a story that relates or maybe is unrelated. This is a story they're dying to tell you as soon as you stop talking. Well, the minute they got the first, ooh, they were not tuned in to what you were saying anymore. Being present and staying active takes work, but it leads to a deeper connection. And someone else's thoughts and opinions, ideas and experiences that you would have missed out otherwise. Okay, we've talked about if you're afraid to speak up. We've talked about being silent. We've talked about just being mindful. Over at eMindful.com, I found three ways to help you speak up and convey your thoughts. Sometimes finding the will to voice your opinion is challenging because you're worried that your opinion is not the majority. At other times, we might not feel confident sharing our needs because we fear that they may not be met. And with so much access to information and outside opinions telling us what to think and feel, it can be difficult to know what we truly value, let alone express it. But finding your voice matters. 
Whether you're communicating with colleagues at work, friends and family at home, or with strangers within a group, when we respectively share an opinion, we enrich the conversation with another perspective. When we lovingly express our needs, we honor ourselves and learn to more intimately connect with others. And when we understand what we believe and are able to effectively communicate it, we become empowered. Speaking up for yourself isn't always easy, but here are three suggestions to help you find your voice as well as the courage to express it. Number one, pause and reflect. It's easy to get caught up in our reactivity and reflexively say whatever enters into our mind, but often finding our true voice requires taking the time to allow the swirl of thoughts emotions, and physical sensations within us to settle. At other times, finding the courage to speak up requires us to turn inward and find our own resolve. If we allow ourselves time to pause and reflect, we can often discover what's most meaningful to us to say. Taking time to connect to our values also can motivate us to share our opinion, even when it might not be the most popular. Sometimes pausing might mean taking a few moments to listen to what everyone else has to say before speaking. At other times, it might mean spending time alone, observing our thoughts and feelings in a non-judgmental way before we know what we truly want to say. The practice of pausing and reflecting before you speak ensures that no matter what you say, whether it's popular or not, it will be a thoughtful addition to the conversation. Number two, creating space for meaningful conversation. When it comes to expressing our needs, sometimes timing is as important as knowing what to say. If you're overwhelmed with emotions or if the person we wish to communicate with is not in a place where they're able to listen, it can be difficult to respectively express our needs and have them heard. Finding the right time and place to express our needs and also listen to what someone else has to say lays the foundation for meaningful conversation. And whatever we end up saying, we'll know that we've shared it in a way that honors who we are. By taking the time to engage in a meaningful conversation, we'll also know that we've listened fully to someone else and respected their needs as well. And number three. Unplug and listen in. With the cacophony of information and opinions constantly streaming through our digital devices, it can be difficult at times to know exactly what our opinion is and what we truly value. Sometimes diving into all the information can help us form an opinion that aligns with our values. But at other times, it's necessary for us to unplug, Turn off the television, avoid social media, and listen to ourselves. Spending time in silence, listening into our deepest thoughts and feelings can inform us in a way that the external world can't. With practice and over time, we can discover the patterns of thoughts and feelings that feel most authentic to us. Spending time in silence might also give us the confidence to express our opinions and add our voice to the ongoing conversation. Finding your voice and speaking authentically is a practice. 
Taking time to pause and reflect, knowing the right time to speak, and listening in to your deepest thoughts and feelings requires a bit of mindfulness. We've reached the end, and so we're going to go through the top 10 highlights of finding your voice and embracing your silence. Number one, when you find your voice, you don't find something new inside of you. Instead, you find a little more of you. Number two, finding your voice is a misleading name for this process. The real work is wondering why you don't like what you already have to say. Number three, one thing I'm learning is to let everyone establish their own level of comfort. It's not up to me to make other people comfortable. Number four, most social conflicts between good people start with bad communication or no communication. Number five, the right words can be incredibly healing. Number six, you are as powerful as the meaningful ideas you share with others, and you are as wise as the selective silence you leave behind. Number seven, without fully knowing how your words will be received and what kind of effect they may have, should you be so free with them? Number eight, sometimes finding the will to voice your opinion is challenging because we're worried it isn't the majority. Number nine, taking time to connect to our values can also motivate us to share our opinions, even when it may not be popular. And number 10, when it comes to expressing our needs, sometimes timing is as important as knowing what to say. share encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, take a moment to assess and decide what is best for you and the situation. Your words are powerful and when used appropriately, They can inspire, soothe, and encourage. Filter negativity and speak up with authority or stay silent with intention. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone threw until the path was clear.